my friends. My name is Zach Allen. I am the lead pastor at Grace Church of Alma in Alma, Arkansas. We're a small church in a small town with a peculiar interest in trying to help people learn how to do the kinds of things Jesus said to do and to understand that that might not mean what they think it means. Well, this is the fifth week of Lent in 2021, and we are going to spend a little time in the Gospel of John today. Our reading is from John chapter 12, verses 20 to 33, reading from the NRSV, and here is what it says. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, Angels has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. So some Greeks walk into a festival. That sounds kind of like the beginning of a good joke, right? Two guys walk into a bar. As usual, there are a number of things going on in this passage. And honestly, you're probably uh, quite familiar with this passage already. There's a lot of rich things going on here. But we're just going to spend some of our time uh, digging into just a bit of it. Maybe some parts we haven't really looked at very deeply before. It begins like this. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. What an interesting statement, especially considering they want to see Jesus, and it doesn't seem he ever really addresses them. Like, some Greeks want to see Jesus, and cool, right? On to the next thing, I guess. By the way, I'm going to die. Remember, we modern readers know this story. We know where it's headed, but his first disciples didn't, and we need to learn to re-enter the text in that frame of mind, like learners again. One thing happening here, of course, is Jesus telling his followers once again of what he is about to endure, and perhaps more importantly, what will happen as a result. He says in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Judgment, I think, is such a harsh word and one that may brush against some of our sensibilities about Jesus, but I want you to notice how Jesus qualifies that word judgment with the rest of the sentence. He says, now the ruler of this world will be driven out. Think back to a few weeks ago when we talked about the title Jesus uses most frequently 
to refer to himself throughout the Gospels. The title which indicates who Jesus understood himself to be and what he was to be about. Remember what it was? It shows up in this passage as well in verse 23. It's son of man. This son of man figure from Daniel 7 who would be given authority, glory, and sovereign power, who all nations and peoples of every language would worship, whose dominion would be everlasting and whose kingdom would never be destroyed. Remember, by using this title, Jesus is indicating to us this vocation is why he thinks he is here, to become king. In order to achieve this, the authority and dominion of the beasts representing all the other kingdoms of the world and the force behind them, mind you, must be stripped away and the beasts themselves removed. So let's turn our attention back to how Jesus qualifies this judgment. Now the ruler of this world hmm, will be driven out. So here, again, this concept, this This is the judgment, and it is a good thing. It is against the ruler of this world, the enemy, the accuser, the tempter, Hasatan himself, the one who tempted Jesus with the very thing he came for in the wilderness, the power behind the other kingdoms of the world whose dominion and authority are being removed. Now, please, 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 if you don't notice anything else, notice this. Notice how this judgment is to take place. When I am lifted up from the earth. He's talking about his crucifixion. The judgment of this world takes place by the torture, humiliation, and murder of its creator, God, and rightful king. But that's not really how judgment works, right? Listen, or as Jesus would say, if you have ears to hear, then hear this. This alone should give us great pause as we consider our role and place in this world as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as Christ's apprentices in life. And what, again, is the result of this judgment? Jesus says, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself, just like in Daniel 7, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. All people. Hmm. Careful, that's some scary territory. Even so, it is this all people phrase I want to draw our attention to. So let's back up just a little and look at the structure in this passage and see if we can notice, I don't know, anything peculiar going on here. Starting at the top, verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. And then in verse 23, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. In verse 27, now my soul is troubled. Again in verse 27, And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. And again, no, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. And twice more in verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. Now among the hour has come. Now, my soul, save me from this hour. I have come to this hour. Now is the judgment. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. Now. 
That's a lot of emphasis on that particular moment, wouldn't you say? But why? Why is this moment in the story so significant? Because, this is why, because among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks who wanted to see Jesus. And so, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus' statement here harkens back to much earlier in John's gospel, all the way back, in fact, to the first recorded miracle, turning water into wine. Back in John 2, starting in verse 1, it reads, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. And all through the rest of John's gospel, Jesus repeatedly says, The hour is coming. The hour is coming. The hour is coming. And twice up to this point, Jesus evaded violence to himself, saying, My hour has not yet come. But now, in this moment in John 12, when there were some Greeks who wanted to see Jesus, suddenly the hour has come. This is the moment Jesus has been alluding to for the past three years during his ministry. Are you starting to see there's more to this moment than meets the eye? If you're not seeing it yet, let's see if reading a few lines from other parts of the New Testament will help us out. In Acts 18, verse 4, again, reading from the NRSV as usual, every Sabbath, he, that's Paul, would argue in the synagogue and would try to convince Jews and Greeks. Acts 19.10, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 10, 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call upon him. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks. Galatians 3.8, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you see it? This distinction, Jew and Greek, is crucial to understanding this moment's significance. These Greeks, you see, were not ethnically Jewish. They're the opposite of Jews, in fact, and in much of the New Testament, the Greek people represent the rest of the non-Jewish world, the Gentiles. And we can see in these passages, this gospel is good news for everyone, Jews and Greeks. If the Jews are the chosen people in this story, then the Greeks represent all the not chosen people, right? But now, now the hour has come. When everyone is chosen. Everyone. Just one chapter ago in John 11, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, and his popularity among the crowds was at an all-time high. And for good reason, right? People were talking about this man who raised someone from the dead. 
word of this deed had become the closest thing possible in the ancient world to going viral. So much so that there were even some Greeks who wanted to see Jesus. You see it now? The world, the people who weren't ethnically Jewish, the not chosen people, had begun to notice this son of man. It is this moment when the rest of the world begins to take notice that Jesus declares, now the hour has come. So we are well into the downward trajectory of this Lenten season at this point, the journey toward the cross. But it is here, in this downward trajectory, that Jesus says he is to be glorified in suffering. Even more, he says it in this act, it will draw all people to himself. We are quickly approaching the point in our story in which the God-man Jesus is no longer with us in the flesh as he was. We are approaching that time in the story, the time that we now live in, in fact, which the Spirit of God will come rest within our hearts, creating in us, collectively, a new and peculiar sort of humanity, one which transcends language, culture, status, and border. A time in which the God-man, Jesus' body in the flesh, in this world, is us. It's you and me. And now, as then, I truly believe the world still wants to see Jesus. They have heard of his great works, and they want to know if there's anything to this man. Sadly, my friends, it seems that's not what much of society sees when they look at us, at Christians. At the people who say they follow Jesus. No. They see judgmentalism, hypocrisy, scandal, abuse, murder. I promise you, the first thing which comes to mind for them are not things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control. You know, the fruit of the Spirit. And certainly not Jesus. The world wants to see Jesus. And don't get me wrong, the world does find him in our midst on occasion. And for this, I am so grateful. But most of those people looking for Jesus will not find him in us until we have collectively decided that Jesus and him formed in us is what we desire ourselves above all things. In other words, we will consistently fail to show Jesus to the world until we have committed ourselves to the task of following Jesus into his practices, into a life devoted to apprenticeship. I've been asked, Zach, what do you hope to accomplish as a pastor? And look, I have no grandiose goals of having the biggest or best church around or even in town, you know, whatever those even mean. I have, I have no problem with either of those things. Shoot, I'd even like for them to happen here at Grace Church. But they're not the point, and as such, they're not really my concern. My chief concern is to simply inspire a group of people in a small town in Arkansas to take seriously the call of Christ to be and make disciples, to have a people who can genuinely say, as we sometimes sing, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And one more quick point. Did you notice who these curious Greeks went to first? 
Philip, right? But why? I, I don't really know for sure. So this is just conjecture at this point. But I'd venture to say it has something to do with where he was from and his name. As the passage indicates, Philip was from Bethsaida in Galilee. You know those maps in the back of your Bible uh, that you looked at when you first got it and went, wow, and then like never looked at them again? Well, if you'll turn to the map of the Holy Land during the time of Jesus, you can see that Bethsaida is the closest city to what was known as the Decapolis, which sounds kind of Greek, right? It's 10 cities, right? The Decapolis is where these Greeks were most likely from. It was the center of Greek and Roman culture in an area which was otherwise inhabited by Semitic peoples. The people of Bethsaida would have had frequent interactions with the Decapolis. There was a familiarity there, even if only with the accent with which Philip may have been overheard speaking. Then there's the name Philip. So while, while the rest of the disciples uh, had Hebrew or Aramaic names, except maybe Andrew, Philip's name is Greek. Again, there is a familiarity there. The world wants to see Jesus, but their curiosity will only take them so far. They, just like you, need something at least a little familiar to relate to as a point of entry. And guess what? That's not a church service. It's not worship music. It's not sermons. It's not this podcast. Those things are really only meaningful for us those who've already been initiated. No, it's not any of those things. It's you. You doing what you do where you do it. It's you carrying your cross the other 167 hours in the week. You out there beyond the walls. That's what's familiar. You are where the curious world will meet Jesus. That's it. That's that's all I've got this week. We'll catch you back here next week with a word about Palm Sunday and uh, probably even talk the passion as well. So you guys be blessed. Have a great week and go show the world some Jesus.